Acts 15 where Paul and uh, Barnabas had a bit of a disagreement, a godly sort of a disagreement I believe, but still a disagreement and it was about who was going to go with who and where. But let me just read this and then Tiff's going to come up and take the mic for a little while and I'll come back and wrap it up. So this is Acts 15 verse 36, then some, after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined, and there's strong words here, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted, didn't just suggest, but he insisted that they should not take him with them because he was the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. He basically went home to Jerusalem. He bailed out for some reason. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed the other way, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. They went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. It was a serious disagreement. It was about people and relationships even in church get messy. We know that, right? So... All that around, not only did we have these two guys who were obviously leaders in the church, Barnabas and Paul, but they also had people that they were taking along with them to train up. And you know, we suspect um, that one of the examples of mentoring that we find in the Word is this one. So, Tiff, you're up. Good morning, everyone. Speak up. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <Dad. laughs> Okay. Yeah, so um, Al's asked us to kind of touch base on, yeah, again, on what he, he kind of spoke about last week. Um, you can call it mentorship, I guess, discipleship, or um, it's just relationship, really, doing life together especially as we are in the build-up, I guess, of going towards the building and everything that God wants to do there. I think um, it's clear that for us as a group um, that God is definitely, I feel on my heart anyway, building this foundation of us being in strong relationship and um, that being a light to to people who come. So, yeah, so just uh, a little bit of context. Um, So what I got out of last week um, was really our putting the practical legs on discipleship and being deliberate about encouraging each other and our walk with God and to impart some of what we know, what we've experienced with each other in order to grow um, in unity and in relationship with Jesus. And I feel like that unity is the key, is a key that God has really um, put on my heart. Um, something else that really um, shone out to me was that it's not underestimating the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to make that clear. And I think everyone here, um, if I can be so bold... Um, but like the Bible describes, you know, we're not babies. We're not, um, we're not just drinking milk. We can understand the difference between 
um, putting God first and how that works. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Um, okay. So Alan's asked us to also um, just give some practical examples in our life, how that's played mentorship, um, that discipleship has played out in our life, in my life. And, um, yeah, so here are some examples. So I'll start... Uh, One of the first examples was when I was younger, uh, probably about 12, 13, I was um, able to be part of a a Bible study or a connect group. And why this pinpointed out to me was because the woman, Magella was her name, was in the exact same situation that I'm in now. She was a young mum, had little kids, and every week would put us, teenage girls, she'd put us up in her house, feed us, talk to us, listen to us, um, and do her best to guide us in, you know, in that really sensitive time, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, And I look back at that and think, that's me now. And um, now I understand what what it took every week for her to put us up how tired she must have been all day with the small kids, all that kind of thing. Dinner, bedtime, six teenage girls. (laughs) And, um, but it was definitely one of those foundation-setting things that set uh, our lives. And we're still in relationship today. And the girls, you know, they were my bridesmaids and now we're mothers together. And, um, yes, we're Christians when, and we have that foundation, but now we're all on our own path now of doing that exact same thing with other people in our world, and I just think that's awesome. So um, a few years later, youth group was another pinnacle um, stage of my life. I came from a single-parent family. Father was not around. Um, And it was youth leaders. It was the men, the young men in in that group that took us, me, my siblings, other children in the same situation under their wings and um, loved on us, cared for us, made sure we were okay, loved on my mum, asked if she needed help, all those kinds of things. And um, again, for our family, uh, such a blessing. Um, fast forward again, Tim and I, newlyweds, we want to set our life together. We decided to find a new church together, uh, found a church. This is all in Sydney. Um, and got invited to a connect group with a couple that we didn't know. They were a bit older than us. It was only the four of us for about two, three years. And um, again, they loved on us, encouraged us, um, challenged us in our giftings, which, you know, we were newly discovering. Um, Challenged us in things like praying and out loud (laughs) 
<laughs> we weren't used to that. Um, seeking God's spirit, seeking gifts, things like prophecy, all these new things that we're encountering. Um, and again, still friends with them today. Um, of course, we're not local to each other, but we catch up. Um, and what was special about that was, especially in that stage of newly being married, was they encouraged us to seek God uh, for a vision for our family. And it was in that relationship and under their leadership where Tim and I had our first vision of what God wanted for our lives. And and um, it was Tim, actually, who got a vision of a table, a very big table, and it was full of family and full of children. And a little bit of history, at 16 I was told that I was going to have trouble falling pregnant and there was a bit of a journey there. So at that stage of our lives it was very relevant and God used them to speak through them and encourage us to dream big. And um, he bought that table <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it was, it's amazing to see God's promises fulfilled through relationship and to remember back to those times of sitting in their living room talking, crying, praying and um, encouraging one another to not give up on what it is that God's put on your heart. Um, Fast forward again, we moved to the Northern Rivers, again decided we wanted to find a church, things just weren't happening, we couldn't really find one that we were enjoying, but we were invited to a connect group in Alstonville and it was about probably... 12 or 13 people at the time, all of us uh, married, um, no children or, or single or things like that. And um, it was the first time as an adult I experienced what it was to be in fellowship with like-minded people and for it... Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but when you're a child, you know, you've got that innocence and you tend to follow along with what everybody else is doing. But all of us as grown-ups, people were authentic, they were honest. We we were able to talk openly about what we were struggling with. We were able to pray for each other. I think out of um, about five couples, four of us all had trouble with infertility. And um, it was a real struggle, uh, and we're talking, you know, years of trying. And we were able to pray for each other, lay hands on each other. And now, looking back, all of us, I think between us, there's probably about 12 children. <laughs> so, and West, again, <laughs> yeah, if you don't want kids, don't go to that connect group. That's what we used to laugh about. <laughs> Um, but we're yeah, still in relationship again today. And I know things... And that I don't say that because I, I'm saying that if you're not in relationship with people that you were um, doing life with before, that's a bad thing. But I'm just saying that... Um, yeah, I'll get to that next point soon. Uh, fast forward here. And this is, this is very interesting. I didn't know that my in-laws were going to be here today. When... I. Yeah, anyway, and I think it's good. No, it's wonderful because fast forward again, 
um, marriage, children, um, life is hectic, busy, um, and you need those people who will just listen to you. And my in-laws are those for me. And I won't get emotional. And um, so I, I did. I wanted to honour them anyway, regardless of they, if they were here or not. And I, I thank God for them. And, and Tim and I are so grateful for them in our lives. Um, yeah, so all those examples of relationship, um, of it wasn't perfection, it wasn't massive ministries or involved lots of money. It just involved time, being together, being open, um, sometimes challenging each other. Um, And I think the link in all of those two were that in all of those people that that God put in my life, they were able to see something that I couldn't in myself. Or see something in my family that I can't see myself for whatever reason. And out of their love for me or, to, or out of my love for them, they were able to draw that out and say, what about this? Think about this. Um, I feel like God is saying this. You know, don't focus on that. And um, to call out gifts that I didn't even know were there and to be able to make mistakes and practice those gifts without being ridiculed or judged. And it reminds me about Jesus and how how he loved his disciples and encouraged them. Um, So I feel I also... um, so I know, I know a lot of this sounds very basic and I hope that I'm, I'm touching on what Alan's heart was for today but he just wanted us to, for me to give examples of how that discipleship played out in my life. And um, I also felt, in just praying about today, I felt like God wanted to encourage the young people. Um, so that's all of us, isn't it? And, um, but I feel like in today's culture too, especially in church culture, online you can see you've got access to podcasts, you've got access to the latest preacher, you've got access to the latest thing that's going on. And on social media it looks amazing, you know. They dress amazing, they look amazing, they sound amazing. And they are because God is using them and God's in it, hopefully. Um, But I feel like in this idea of finding a mentor or finding someone that you can... um, do life with. I felt like he wanted me to encourage you to find people of strong character. So if it is a certain area of your life that you, are, you, you desire to work on, whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's business, marriage, whatever it is, find people who are doing that well. And what I love about our church family is it's small, but we're so diverse and we're so um, there's so many areas of life that God is working through um, that are not all the same, and I just love I really love that. Um, so yeah, so that's my encouragement to you is to find strong people of good character, faithful people who love Jesus, and to 
um, watch them, I guess, in a way. And, yeah. Um, so in this church family, yeah, like I said, we're all a diverse group of people. But there's a definite kinship and a love that's so evident. And I know that God is going to use that to um, encourage the new people that come along. Um, I just wanted to give honour to, in the stage and season that I'm in, I'm a mum, I'm so grateful for other mothers to be able to watch, to um, walk alongside with, to ask questions. And I look at someone like Del, you know, seven children, is it Del? Seven. Seven. Uh, I I think to myself, okay, she can do seven, I can do three, let's do this. Um, Yeah, my mother-in-law four boys, you know, all these mothers, children. And I get to watch you. I get to um, ask you questions. I get to ask you to pray for me. And I'm so thankful for that. And one thing I also wanted to honour is Christy and Michael. I watch your boys. I watch them worship Jesus. I watch them talk about Jesus. We go home. Everett talks about the big boys. And... What do they do? Where do they live? Do they drive a car? All these questions. (laughs) And, um, you know, as a mum, what could you ask? You know, you couldn't ask for more. For for him to be seeing young men, big boys, he's six today. And, you know, um, that's my heart for him that he'll find people of good character to watch and for them to notice him. And I think that's another thing too, is in church culture, it's so easy, and let's be honest, especially in our generation, it's so easy to want to be linked to people who seem like they have it all together and who seem like they've got the latest thing or the latest whatever. Um, But from my experience, those relationships, you know, really last and that's not to say that they're not good people but like I was saying before when you've got people of good character humility who have a heart for Jesus um, that's yeah what better foundation could you ask so um, I'm thankful for all of you we're thankful to be part of what God's doing here and um, I hope that that us as a family can be a people who can give back just like all these people have given to us. And, um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I have to put these on. Maybe I'm not like Alan. He doesn't have to yet, but I have to now. Thanks, Tiff. Um, I'm going to take that a little further on, but just before we do, it's good to draw out the comparisons. And it's all about relationship, obviously. But Tiff talked about relationships that go across generations. So she started off as a young teenager with somebody who was probably a half-generation older than her that invested. And then out of that investment came friendship of a similar age. And then you grow up and you can invest back down again. So common thread. Common thread. I'm a numbers guy, um, so I just want to make a confession right now. Happen to be an engineer, we run on numbers. We live by numbers and we die if we don't have numbers. So 
I'll confess right now, I'm going to give you three numbers and then you'll know that if I get it all done, I actually finished, or if I, the numbers don't stack up, I had to shut down because I went too long. But the numbers are four, one and two. Nothing spiritual about that, just a way to I want to talk about four people that I know, I want to talk about one book that I've read, and then if I get there I'll talk about two other people I've worked with. All right, so I'm going to go for the one in the middle first. <clears throat> it was a book that I read about 10 or 12 years ago by a guy by the name of Wayne Cordero. He's a, a pastor in Hawaii and he grew up in a denomination we don't hear much about called Foursquare. Um, <clears throat> they're a bit like Assemblies of God. They come out of similar roots, but if you know anything about the Azusa Street Revival in California in 1913 or 11, somewhere around there, they actually came out of that. So they're a charismatic denomination. Wayne's an interesting guy, never met him, but he <clears throat> got a vision to go to Hawaii and plant churches and he did that by renting schools. And he rented a school gymnasium and he set up a church and then he's actually duplicated that model. But one of his things is mentoring, which is why I bring his name up. And he wrote a book that, um, most of the book I can't remember a clue what was in there, but there was one thing that jumped out because it was about mentoring and that's what we're talking about today. And his mentoring model is this. It's just four things. He talks, he said, I do, you watch, we do together, you do, I watch, and then I release you. And he, he'll build a whole philosophy of mentoring around those four things. And I like that, and I've decided to use that, and I think it works well. So that's part of what I'm sharing with you about mentoring. Um, it's not straight out of the Bible. It's done by a very biblical man, and I've watched him and what he's done for a long time, and I believe it's godly in how it works, depending on how we use it. So that's the model. That's the one, the four. One of the four people I want to talk about briefly, some of you have met, his name was Tim and he came here last year. He's a young Asian guy, he's actually born in Indonesia of Chinese parents and uh, I met Tim in, at my daughter's wedding because he had gone to college with them and I had never met him until the wedding and at that point <clears throat> it didn't really um, trigger a relationship other than Cheryl and I reached out to him because he was effectively parentless. Um, his parents are still alive, he still visits them, but he hadn't been parented at a child. He left home at the age of six to go to boarding school. Um, he went from Jakarta to Singapore, lived with an aunt. Um, at the age of 12, decided that he wanted to go to America and told his parents back home and his father said, you can, boy, if you want, but not till you're 14. So at 14, he said goodbye to his aunt. His father, through the Chinese community, found a contact for him in Oakland um, at 14 he went to Oakland to go to high school long stories about no money the money his father sent being ripped off by the people him surviving on a loaf of bread for a week and stuff like that but he battled his way through and got into college and he had ended up in college with our kids our son-in-law and our daughter and so we reached out to him because he didn't have parents and that was the point of connection which really had nothing to do with work or church it was purely a relationship that looked like there was some space to move into nothing more came of it for about um, five years until he decided he was going to go to seminary. At the point we first met him, he was just graduating from a computer science course. And I'm not a computer guy. I use them. They're a tool. They're not a toy. I don't like them, but I have to use them. He was the other way. He liked to play with them. And so we didn't have a point of connection there, but just through the family connections that sort of simmered for about five weeks, we finally connected. So once Tim went to seminary, then we had some common ground because some of you know Cheryl and I worked for a church in California for a few years 
back in the 2000s, before 2010. And so when he decided that's what he wanted to do, then he started to reach back and say, how do you do this thing? And so as a generation younger than me, same age as my kids, we got a chance to invest in each other. I learned from him, he learned from me. He came to where I was working and now he's gone off. He's, he's got his own church in Seattle and our relationship is a phone call. It's usually a short series of phone calls. There'll be nothing for four months and then I'll ring him or he'll ring me and then all of a sudden we're on the phone for two hours every other day for a week and we get all the stuff out on the table and we talk about it and he packs up and off he goes again. So it's not what you would call a close friendship but it's a close relationship because it has a purpose. Now, that's really a workplace relationship, even though it's about the church, because it's not, he's not in, in this church, like Tiff was in the church where she had a mentor. Um, but it goes on. He's, he's now married, got kids. We don't know his wife very well. We don't know his kids at all. But we know Tim, because it was a mentoring relationship. The next one I want to put together, and uh, two single mums who I work with at the moment, who are here on the North Coast. Um, it's not a, you wouldn't call it a spiritual or a Christian mentoring um, opportunity, but, but I always look for that to come. So one of these young ladies is trained the same as I am, so we, have a, we share a common skill set. And the other one has a skill set that works with me. So she's a contract administrator, I'm an engineer, and so one of them... we is an engineer, one of them is a contract administrator, but similar age, they, they know I have two daughters, they've never met them, but that was our point of contact. We got a conversation at different places going at work and they started to key into the fact that I had two girls their age, you know, late 30s, and so that, that was an interest. And they've come for different reasons to have a relationship, but la- a week ago Friday, because I've then taken an interest back in them, and they have... They each have a child about the age of my grandkids, and so another common point. Um, the first significant, the start of a significant spiritual conversation started a week and a half ago, even though I'd known one of these girls for about three years on and off, and her daughter started high school this year. And uh, she's a spiritual person, but her idea of spirituality is about the elephants and the orangutans, and so she wants her daughter to grow up and invest in nature and the earth and so she's encouraged her along with the girl's dad who you know the parents are separated they've got her to go to Catholic high school in Coffs Harbour and she came back after the first week and it was all falling apart and I just happened to say to her how did your daughter go this week and it opened the floodgate and it wouldn't have opened if I hadn't have just touched along the way for three years the opportunity but she took it in the end she's the one that started so it was, I don't know what's going on. She wants to quit high school. She went here. She's done really good at school. She's a good student. She's got a vision to be a scientist because she wants to save the world like I do, and I've encouraged her to do that, and now it's all going to go down the drain. So we got, I said, okay, tell me where she's going to school, Catholic high school. I know that she's got no context for Catholicism or the church, and so that gets the chance to start talking about, well, you know what, she's probably seen a lot of statues this week, and she's probably confused by what she can see, So let's talk about whether that's important or not. And, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes later, it was a case of, okay, I've got a plan now. Here's some things to go and talk to your daughter about. Lay out a plan to dig in, the two of you together, for the next month or six weeks, reevaluate, and then see, rather than pull the plug on Monday. And she rang back on Monday, this is great, we've got a plan, really appreciate the input. 
now it's my job to get it off the orangutans and the, and the elephants and get it on to Jesus, but that's a bit further down the track. The other girl, who's, and they're friends, they, really, they, they, work, they work together. Um, it's a purely workplace relationship. I was sent into their workplace to solve some big problems. And the second girl, I'll call her Naomi. So Kim's got the one I was talking about who likes orangutans and elephants. Naomi's the engineer. And she had a, a problem that was like almost a million dollars worth of problem that she couldn't solve. And so I was sent to help her do that. In the last 10 months, we've got that ironed out to cost almost nothing. And so through applying our skill sets together, now she's starting a conversation about her son, Seb. And I get a platform now because I didn't try and connect with her just because I think I need to mentor you or you need to know about Jesus. I just found some common ground, jumped in, and then saw where it went. Bored yet? Keep going. One more. That's three. Number four. Number four. Number four's name's Ron, and he's a little bit um, counterintuitive to this conversation because we talked about how mentoring goes across a generation, and I went like that, meaning it normally goes down. With Ron, he's actually my dad's age. He's 85. And we connected in a workplace, but at that church I was at, and Ron had already retired back in 2004, I think it was, that I met him, and he wanted to volunteer. So he used to turn up at the church office and say, what can I do? Um, we had a few pastors on staff who had great hearts, but they were, their, their organisation was ungodly. And people used to call in and want pastoral help, and so my job was to make sure that help got out there. And I'd end up maybe with 20 or 25 phone calls after a couple of days and trying to put them to people to call back. And so Ron was my telephone police in the end. He was happy just to come and pick up that list. He'd walk around the office, he'd knock on the guy's door, he'd say, now, have you called? Have you called? You haven't called? Okay, got to go back and tell Pete you haven't called. Unless if you'll call before I leave the office, I'll come back and check it off. I won't. Okay, that's fine. And he used to get him out the door without me having to intervene most of the time. Just a servant. That was what he was about. He worked as a, um, I was going to say an engineer. He was actually a, he worked for General Dynamics on jet engines all his life. But he was a tradie. He was a, he was a guy that used his hands and he used his head. But he just had always worked with a team of people. Um, life was very structured in those days, clock on, clock off, go home on Friday and take care of the family. And that was Ron. Ron's conversations were always pretty short on the phone, right up until a week ago Friday, the last one I had with him. And it was five minutes and then, OK, Pete, I'll get out of your way. Um, say hello to the missus and don't work too hard. That was his sign off every time. Say hello to the missus and don't work too hard. When we left California nine years ago, Ron was really concerned because he came and he said, I want you to do my funeral. Will you come back? I said, sure. Here we go. I was sure that wasn't going to happen. We've um, connected by phone every month or so. Um, Every time I go through California, I'd stop and we'd have lunch. My wife might have to finish this. <laughs> anyway, I was driving home Wednesday and I got a phone call. And it was Ron's son-in-law. And he said, Pete, this is the phone call we all thought could happen for the last five years. And Ronnie died last Wednesday. <laughs> 
Yeah, he passed away on Wednesday. It was interesting when Alan asked me to do this on Monday, I thought, gosh, what am I going to talk about? And then when I got this phone call and I called Cheryl, he said, there's your Sunday. So um, after 15 years of a relationship with this guy who's the age of my dad, who came to me to help just as a servant, and then he'd stop in my office and say, Pete, got a question. When do we actually go to heaven? Do we go to heaven when we die or do we go to sleep or when we'd sit and talk for 20 minutes on what we thought the word said about heaven? No. That was sort of... Ronnie was a guy who was full of faith with questions. He had a ton of questions, but his faith never suffered because of it. And so after we did the job and we got the work done for the day, as a volunteer we'd sit down and we'd just shoot the breeze about the word and we both grew through that because of that friendship that grew and grew and grew. So on Tuesday I'm going to get on a plane and fly to California and do a funeral on Thursday and come home Sunday. And that'll be the last trip with Ron. It'll be a good one. A really good one. I've got two left. I don't know if I can get there. It's a different context. Um, in this this passage in, in Acts, you know, we t- it talks about Paul and Barnabas, and they were obviously leaders in the church. And it talks about John Mark, who was obviously a junior because he was along for the ride. He was being tagged. <laughs> two strong leaders and obviously Paul was the boss Paul was the apostle we know him because of what he was called out the way he was called out um, a dramatic turnaround from being a persecutor of Christians to being the leader of the of the non-Jewish world whereas Peter was the apostle was taken to the Jews Paul went to the Gentiles Barnabas was obviously a leader but he obviously wasn't the main guy and they got into a disagreement and, it, and there's words in there in this passage that we know today that look like um, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. Paul insisted that they shouldn't. Um, then the contention became so sharp. I mean, these guys were having it out in relation to this guy. They're both godly men. And you want to ask who got it wrong. But I think the answer is sometimes neither of them, neither of us get it wrong. I don't think they, it doesn't look like they went to be ungodly to me. They just chose different paths and I think sometimes in um, relationships in the church we have to choose to take a separate path and so this is not really about mentoring but these guys were doing that and yet they, they didn't have full agreement and I, and I have two of those guys in my life right now um, as you know I wasn't the Paul in these circumstances I was more like the Barnabas I was the number two guy but we locked in about how we were dealing with younger Christians and how, how we were training up people to go and we, we disagreed at this level and with this passion and so we've actually taken separate courses. Um, one of that, both, they both happened um, what, 12 and 10 years ago and one of those is, is being restored. In fact, I'm going to stay at this guy's house when I go for this funeral on Thursday. You know, there's been a gap in there of eight or nine years where our wives have remained good friends, but we just it was just better that we didn't live in the same space. Um, I, I'm absolutely confident that we didn't want bad things for each other. We wanted good for each other. We just we've found that we can't work together. Even in ministry, we can't work together. And as long as we don't do that, then we can rebuild our friendship again. 
And I really threw that in because mentoring is not the only relationship thing. Mentoring tends to be up and down either um, our experience or in our age, whereas there's also this, this similarity that runs across our generation where leaders come together and we feel passionate about God and things he's called us to do and it doesn't always line up. And in the end, the important thing is that the relationship survives, not, not the, not the uh, need to be right. Because sometimes you've got to walk away and believe that relationship is more important than being right. And that either of you could be right and both of you could be wrong, but you won't find it out when you're locking horns. So, you know, separate, take a different path, get on with the work, even of ministry, and figure it out later on. That's happened to me mostly over how mentoring is carried out. So it's a, it can be a contentious thing. All I want to do to summarise all that is to say that relationships are messy, even in the church. In fact, in the church, they can be messier than they are in the world. But that's no reason not to be in relationship. If we don't get in relationship, we can't be a mentor. Because if you won't lay the groundwork, nobody's going to come to you. And so you do it with a risk. You pay a price for it sometimes. But in the end, it's worth it. So, look, just to recap on that, if you, a lot of people talk about, you know, well, mentoring, is it mentoring or is it coaching? Um, the world uses those words differently and it probably doesn't matter. In fact, if I was to go back to talk about Kim and Naomi, with Kim, who likes the elephants and the orangutans, it's more a mentoring relationship, whereas with Naomi, because she's an engineer like me, I'm a coach, because I can lay out the game for her for a day or a week, whereas I don't with the other girl. But in any event, the outcome, we, we all chase is the same. And that is if we can bring Jesus into the context of our world, then there's a chance that somebody is going to bring their world into his context. And that's what we're all after. Make sense? All right. We'll call it good. Let's pray and get out into our week. If you write anything down, Dell, write this down. I watch, you do, we do together, you watch, I do, and then I release you to go and do it. Yep. I do, you watch, we do it together, you do it and I watch, and then I release you. And then I go find somebody else. Well, I don't, I don't push them out the door and never say hi, but once they're released, then I need to find somebody else to start that investment in again. And if you want his book, his name's called Wayne Cordero, C-O-R-D-E-R-O. And the book, the book is called Doing Church as a Team. And I'm not recommending the book. I'm only recommending the mentoring model. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for relationship. We thank you for love, for friendship, and the fact that you are the one that actually designed that in the first place. Father, we, we ask that you would give us a good perspective on what that means to you, not just how we think it should be. Lord, most of all, we ask that you'll bring people across our paths that... Um, that are open, first of all to us, and then to you. Lord, you say that Jesus is the only way to you, and that's right, but there's probably six million ways to Jesus, and we're each one of those. And Lord, I pray that you'd use us for that, and you'd show us how to be used for that, that we'd take the risks, even sometimes when we get burnt, but know that relationship is the key, and that's the way you reach out to other people. Lord, we thank you. We pray that you'd give us a revelation about that each individually where we live this week, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.